Welcome to Things That Will Help with Buffy Barfoot. This podcast explores what it's like to be human and how to find tools to feel clear, grounded, and happier. The weekly theme will be simple as well as rich and something you can apply to your real life. The human stories ahead do not negate the hard or the dark, but rather point to the lighthouses along the way. This is Buffy. This is for those of us who never stop moving. This is a permission slip not to collapse, but to wait. I met with a friend, an old friend, one of those people who you never stop caring for, but it's been a long time, a really long time, years, really. And this friend and I were talking about all that has transpired since I've seen her and also the the upside downness of the last couple years, the intense rhythm and crashing content of the news cycle, and how much and how little has changed about the human condition, the big and the little things, we talked about it all. And she tells me that she's going through something really hard, life-shattering. She found out some news that though it's out of her control, is changing the, the, the very course and the foundation of her life. And her initial response is to keep moving. She's used to a steady rhythm of service, always looking to be helpful in a crisis for everybody around her. She's such a giver, such a force of good, such a big mover. She takes up causes makes changes in her community, and is always throwing paint on the canvas and shifting the conversation in a good way. But something happened within her family that shook her to the core and changed everything. And during our conversation, she looked at me and waited until my eyes were locked on hers. And she said, it is so hard to take a seat. And I I took a deep breath because I know, I know that kind of hard. This, This one is for those of us who never stop moving. This is a love letter for those of us who find catharsis in doing, doing, doing. And while that friction has its place, and it most certainly does, when we take a seat, it makes us available for something a fault line to open, a gush, a truth, a wellness plan eventually, a reconfiguration that wasn't possible with movement. I remember clearly the first time I saw my mother sit down after Benjamin died, and it was in her bathroom in Montgomery. She had a chair and a kind of a little dressing table in her bathroom, and it was the day after the funeral, and the company had left, and there was, there was nothing left to organize and prepare for. And I still remember what she said. She was sobbing, and she looked up at me, and she said, there's nothing left to do. She knew he was in trouble. We all knew he was struggling. We knew he wasn't okay. But we thought we were helping. We were talking to him. We were sending things, encouraging him. 
thinking of ways to get through, um, reaching out. We were always moving, always, always, which at the time felt really productive. Maybe it was in some way. And then there was nothing left to do. A week or so before he died, she had mailed him an encouraging card, a book, and some ideas to pull him out of the abyss that he seemed to be in. And I remember it was very important to her to get in touch with his roommate. She wanted to know if he had gotten the package, if he'd read her card before he died. He had. It had been opened. Benjamin knew that we were pulling for him. It was incredibly important for her to know that her last effort of mothering him had reached him and that he knew she was trying. And now that I'm a mother, I understand why that was so important to her. She looked at me that day at her dressing table and she said, there's nothing more to do. I feel so helpless. And I knew what she meant. The doing was over, at least in that moment. And we had to take a seat. And it is so hard to take a seat. And of course, I'm not just talking about taking a seat after something big like that that changes your whole foundation. We like to keep moving because culturally, action and movement are praised really heavily and sitting is confused with stagnancy and not doing anything productive. This morning, I took a hard bike ride. The kids were watching a movie in the basement, and I jumped on the Peloton, and I rode really hard for 30 minutes. And I was hot. I'd worked so hard, but I wasn't sweating. And afterwards, I sat down with my kids to watch a little of the movie they were watching. They were watching Chicken Little. (laughs) And as soon as I took a seat and became still, the sweat started to pour down my face and neck. And I closed my eyes for a second and I thought, this is what happens when you stop moving. You may have stopped moving, but other things that impact you don't stop. And sometimes it isn't until then that they're allowed to rush to the surface. When I was in high school, I was dancing um, very seriously and steadily at the time. And and every December, I was in the Montgomery Ballet's production of The Nutcracker. And it, it was usually two long weekends of performances leading up to opening night. And there was a lot of long late night rehearsals. And I was always pushing my body to the limit. And I was pretty depleted by the time I danced the last show. And at the same time that I was I was doing all this dancing, I was also juggling school finals and papers and final projects for the semester academically. And I always got through it. There was never a question that I would. I was very disciplined. And I never stopped moving in order to take my own metaphorical temperature. I powered through. I didn't, you know, stop and wonder how I was feeling. Um, But every single year, like clockwork, I inevitably got really sick the week following the Nutcracker performances when I was on Christmas break from school. As soon as I took a seat and slept and rested and let down, my whole immune system kind of broke down and I, I would turn off autopilot and finally allow myself 
to sleep and eventually restore. And then I would spend the whole break plumping myself back to optimal health. We are so often afraid if we stop moving and take a seat, what will be revealed, what will break down, what will gush in. But I think it's already there underneath. So taking a seat can encourage the true wellness patterns that can bring us back. Moving, friction, constant giving, distraction, even in the most conscious way, doesn't cover up forever what needs to be looked at and felt. And this all hits me so hard because I'm such a mover. I like to churn and produce and I have admirable discipline. And I like to keep a cadence in my days because unraveling and even just simply sitting doesn't ever, ever really feel like an option. It's always the last thing. It's inconvenient. I remember in the airport being with mom, we were trying to get home a few hours earlier. We had gotten the call that Benjamin had died. She was with me in Illinois visiting when we got that call. I was there for graduate school. And I remember sitting there. I was paralyzed. I was numb, gutted, just dizzy with this news. And I looked at her and she got out a paper and pen in the airport and she started working on his obituary. She was moving, mothering, churning the chaos into something that she could do. It was all she could bear. And sometimes that is what we have to do. Sometimes it's all we can bear. So she wrote and crafted and thought about the dates and who had survived him. That's such a strange language we use there, don't you think? He's survived by a sister Buffy, a mother Vivian, a father Jimmy, and so on. People who will keep spinning and moving and living and whittling through the years. When my friend, my beautiful friend, sat in front of me last week and said, it is so hard to take a seat, I thought, yeah, it is so hard. I clean, I organize, I make goodwill bags, I write, I sweat, I mother. But sitting, I'm not so good at. And her words wrapped around my consciousness all week. And then I thought of things that will help. I thought of you guys. And I thought, I bet some of you haven't stopped moving either, maybe in years. Someone recently asked me, who listens to this podcast? And I said, well, it's different ages and different stages of life, but all the humans who listen are seekers, curious, people who dig deeper than the obvious, people who aren't looking just to skim through, people who might consider that taking a seat can be the hardest and at the same time most nourishing thing to do. When when we take a seat, things gush in. We have less control. Things gush out. And that can be transformative because we're no longer corseted. We're no longer distracted. When my mom was diagnosed with cancer for the first time when I was little, I was in fourth grade. 
I remember she would get up in the middle of the night because she couldn't sleep. Her mind was racing. She would get up in the middle of the night and she would iron all the shirts and dresses in the house. She would even iron the cloth napkins. She was smoothing out. I know now that she was smoothing out her worries. She was doing something to move through her sadness. And I I think there's a sacred place for this. This kind of movement can be like prayer or a love letter or a way to enlist help instead of vibrating in our brain in a way that is paralyzing. So I've come to understand that never stopping blocks us from something, but so does never moving. So I think there has to be a mixture, an ebb and flow, because sometimes with the hardest things, we need a little bit of insulation, like the friction of writing an obituary, the friction of feeling useful, the friction of mothering even when there's no one left to mother. Both the seat and the movement are tools teachers, salve, and saviors, both in their own ways. And you know where we learn this idea of continuing to move and never stopping. We live in a place, in a world that values moving well above sitting, that values production in numbers and in money and trackable awards more than it cherishes feelings all the way to the bottom of things. The only way that we can truly emerge with ourselves intact is to take a seat, even when it's at the hardest time right in the middle of things. Backstage, when you're sitting, there are things articulating that you cannot see and that you cannot track unless you Allow yourself to feel the release of a cry or the sweat rolling down your neck. And another interesting thing, and and partly I think the reason we probably don't do it as often as we could or should is that other people looking into our lives who only get like a tiny little sliver of what's going on don't seem to value sitting either because of what they have been taught culturally. And so we have this kind of outside peer pressure to produce and to move, move through things at a pace that makes other people feel comfortable. And I think this spans all sorts of things, not just grief and and heavy-duty healing, but also that idea of I'll be happy when, when this happens, I'll be happy when this happens. And that movement to keep you climbing somewhere negates the importance of sitting still and allowing yourself to have periods of feeling and not doing. That pressure to keep keep trucking because if you do, you're going to reach that place where everything's going to feel okay. But there's so much beauty that happens in periods of waiting and periods of watching, not surrender, not collapse, not rest, not release. Those are different. And all of those things can be what happens when you take a seat, but they're not guaranteed. And sometimes sitting is just something that feels uneventful and anticlimactic. 
There was one more thing to do after Benjamin's funeral. Mom and I went to clean his room. We cleaned and we packed things away. And she was able to mother him by gently stacking things up and cleaning up the mess that was left. There was like an open chip bag and a soda. She took the sheets off the bed. And it was important. It was super sad and 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 important. It was frictive. It was cleansing, cathartic. And afterwards, we went to lunch. And I knew it had been essential that we did that. And I also knew that there needed to be places ahead, places to sit and receive it all. Okay, one last story. This one is a little lighter. We (laughs) were going through the relentless task of limiting screen time for a six-year-old who now lives in a world of constant stimulation and screens. And things are fast and colorful and vibrant and digital and the peer pressure is, is high. And Otis looked at me this morning when I took away his screen and, and I said, find something to do, find something else to do. We have 30 minutes before we go to school. And he protested because he had been immersed in this digital world. He didn't want to leave it. And he said, I can't just sit here. What can I do? And I said, well, you can read or draw or chit chat with me. And then I looked at him and I said, you know, Otis, sometimes just sitting there will turn into the most creative ideas. Just sitting is where things are born. And he looked at me for a minute and he tried for a minute or two. The span of a six-year-old's attention span um, is pretty short. But I thought while he was doing that and wiggling, I could model this more. I could sit more. I could clean less. Because actions are more profound than words. And I don't think my talk with Otis about sitting still and creativity made much of an impression on him this morning. But I know that it was a small seed and a marker for me to try and live by what I talk about so that it doesn't just sit on a shelf categorized as wisdom, but not really something I've lived into. You know, one of the reasons that I chose to move the rhythm of things that will help podcast to every other week is just this very thing. I was moving fast with my ideas. I was churning them out with discipline, but I wasn't finding enough time to sit with them and apply them to my life. So I was starting to feel kind of like a fraud. I knew I had some good ideas, but they weren't executed. Um, There wasn't enough time for me to really apply and integrate them. And so I remedied that. I'm now pouring the topics and concepts into my daily routine and giving myself a little space in a way that that's more honest. I'm moving them. I'm moving through them, but I'm also sitting with these concept and concepts and seeing what surfaces. I'm giving myself the time to do that. So then what I deliver to you has more integrity, more honesty, And something that has been 
moved through my practice in my body a little bit more. So from grief to art to digital slavery, we can change the landscape of productivity. It no longer has to look so busy. Here's something I wrote that I want to share with you right after my friend left the other day, and I'm going to leave you with this. Keep moving, they said. It should feel productive, something to hang your awards on, a flurry in protective coding so that we do not feel. But my friend, a mother and a rare artist who acts like a bird, told me to take a seat to see what happens when the world stops cold at a rate I cannot allow or anticipate. Time is raw from that vantage point. A blue cushion squeaking with the weight of me, my body finally still. Healing is imminent, she said. I got sick, and the tears were hot and fresh, but something unlocked that was the opposite of trying. She said all of this from her own seat. I cannot explain why this is still my work to accept quietly while not in the rush of things. I am still trying to decide what to do with my hands. There are directions to sign up in the show notes to become a patron of Things That Will Help podcast. Please consider supporting these stories and this work if you are enjoying these episodes. It is a very small ask each month, and it keeps this beautiful little production going. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks again for listening.